Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Compete Waffle. My name's Alicia. I'm an advanced sports dietitian and co-founder of Compete Nutrition. Now for this next guest, first of all, I want to say happy World Food Day because this guest is the reason why I think so many people are building their curiosity and confidence in the kitchen. Her name is Alice and you might also know her as Alice in Frames from ABC News, MasterChef and the deliverer of some incredible books. Um, she has also created a project called Phenomenon, which is all about in improving food literacy and confidence, taking away that morality talk around food, that fear-based discussion around food, and really building a curiosity and excitement and exploration because food is there to be enjoyed. It has so much more benefit than just nutrients. It has so much to do with how we're feeling, that nourishment, that um, satisfaction. And she speaks about this so, so beautifully in the podcast. She comes in with passion. She comes in with an absolute energy. And I know you are going to love Alice's vibe. She does not hold back. You're going to hear some brilliant insights, some revelations in terms of how we are consuming our information around food and how we can really fight back and get to a point of feeling confident again when it comes to food. because. So many of you reach out talking about not knowing how to eat anymore, feeling too overwhelmed about what to eat and also feeling the guilt and shame that comes with food. And this is a big focus of what we talk about today, not only for adults, but also how we bring our kids up and the way that we talk around food, the way that we offer food and the environment piece that is so, so important to building a food relationship that is so much more than just numbers. So without further ado, I do need to apologize. This isn't your average start to a podcast. We got chatting, I pressed record. I'm so glad I did. So yeah, you'll hear this podcast start and it will feel like mid conversation because it actually was. And I'm so okay with that um, because what she says in this first bit, I loved and I feel like it's not something I wanna snip out just because it wasn't an official start. We then, you know, realize that what we've done and um, we get started. But I think at the big point of this is that there's so much chat to be had. There's so much passion in the um, insights that she shares that I don't think you'll mind at all. So without further ado, enjoy the very ad hoc start to this podcast with the beautiful Alice. Um, I will tag everything that she's done within the podcast notes so that you can go and follow all her amazingness on the socials. You can go and buy her new book, Praise in Veg, very, very soon. Um, and you can absolutely seek out that phenomenon resource, resource which is free um, for all teachers. So enjoy guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you enjoy this just as much as I enjoyed having that chat. Cheers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So ne next week is World Food Day, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the perfect opportunity to talk to Alice." Yay! <laughs> all things food, but um, I think for me, it's been you know just really refreshing seeing you speak so beautifully around food without overcomplicating it and causing that curiosity in people and interest without having to talk nutrients and science all the time and. You know, I think that's why you're always front of mind for when I think about nutrition. So well Thank done. You. Like, Thank yeah. you very much. No. Yeah, there's enough people and it's not my expertise. I think mm. if I was, if I had come from a nutritional dietetics background, I think there'd mm. be a lot more pressure on mm. me to have um, authority and mm. to kind of prove myself all the time. But because yeah. I come from an education lens and a media yeah. lens, I have yeah. a freedom and like a, mm. a lack of shiitake giving mm. that 
is cutting through. And I'm yeah. glad because, you know, the people that connect with me a lot are people like you, are people in the nutrition and dietetics space that are ready for diet culture to get in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it recording it. I'll put something in here before. <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely get in the bed oh it's hilarious <laughs> i read a comment from um oh who was it someone just saying very similar language and i was just like absolutely we all just need to make this a hashtag oh get it yeah <laughs> um and it's kind of i think that it's been precipitated and fanned in mm. terms of because Diet culture has been around for a long time, a long time. If you look at it, because I'm, I'm, I've got a history teaching background. So if I look at the imagery and the idealization, particularly of, of the female form over the, the centuries, mm. even over, the, over millennia, mm. it's a constant feeling of never being enough. Yeah. You're, not, you're not skinny enough or you're not rubenesque enough you know it's always what what don't i have it's the um that kind of um mindset of yeah the patriarchy yeah, right yeah but in this day and age it's not that we're just looking at a sculpture once a week it's in our faces all the time and we're comparing ourselves all the time and so that's why i think that it has kind of become a real trash fire um, and I love that the all of our analogies and metaphors are like <laughs> a rubbish because it is like it's a rubbish thing. Like why yeah. why is it a thing? So, uh, mm. but but by the same token, and on the flip side, it's also meant that a lot of people like us can connect mm. and can kind of join forces and build our voices to be even louder yeah. uh, and kind of give each other the tools and the the you know the woo every now and then because it also feels a little bit sometimes like maybe society's gaslighting us too like maybe but maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe i should be going down that track and then you see someone's post like oh no no, no it's cool I'm <laughs> yeah yeah someone else is in the same space. Yeah, exactly yeah. yeah yeah i'm glad you said that because it, you, it is so easy to have self-doubt in this area um mm. Of maybe I am doing the wrong thing. Maybe they're right. Maybe, and I think the more you know, the more questioning you do have. Totally. Um, which is really, really hard is, you know, in the nutrition field when you are getting all these different um, messages through mm. and you kind of go, no wonder people are confused. 100%. Yeah. I'm and confused. It's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's right. And it's easy also to fall into really familiar kind of comfortable narratives and mm. um, little bumper stickers yeah. uh, because everyone's doing it and it's mm. kind of been ingrained in us. So it actually mm. takes more effort to step out of the matrix and say, hang on a minute, let's look at this differently because let's face it, what we've been doing today in terms of trying to promote healthful attitudes in people and um, kind of trying to shift people's perception of food as a joyful, pleasurable, healthful, nutritious activity hasn't worked. So why do we keep banging our heads against a wall? Why do we keep trying to place these limitations and barriers in people's way instead of saying, okay, here's where you are. How do we nudge you? Or how do, what do you need us to give you or to um, give you permission, yeah. that's it. That, that's what I keep coming back to is permission, like permissiveness. What can we do to give people permission to be their best selves? Oh my gosh, I love that you use that word because I realised in the last two weeks, I feel like my job is giving permission for people to eat. Ah. It has been 
really interesting because I'm sure in nutrition, dietetics, all these things, people are like, oh, well, they're the people who are going to stop me from eating things. And I feel like my job is almost the opposite, mm. um, almost directly the opposite of actually giving permission and confidence and ability to actually make those decisions themselves to, you know, have a really strong relationship with food, but also a resilience in food to, you know, be able to create anything from the kitchen and be able to have the confidence of creating food that is right for them in that moment. Beautiful. Mm. Yes. Um, anyway, yeah. Well, well, we haven't. Do you know what? I'm so glad I press record because it's going to be interesting. Inter- uh, I'm going to just use this, even though I haven't actually started the podcast. Oh I'm, man, it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, no, it was a really nice conversation. So I think if you're happy for me to use, I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm used to just jumping in, and then so, if someone wants to go. Actually, the format of this podcast is no. that we do a really official introduction, and you tell me about your life. So no, yeah, no, no. Never. I just wanted to make sure that people realise that you know. We did just start recording and it was a really nice chat and I didn't want to um, stop that. So that's okay. nice. But yeah, I don't have a really official um, way of doing podcasts. Someone asked me the other day, they're like, how do you do podcasts? I was like, well, probably less preparation than I should, but <laughs> fun. And so I'm yeah. not changing it. Yeah, <laughs> love the chat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so when we're looking at that um, permission to eat, I guess that's a really nice place to start because um, I, I mentioned earlier, like the way that people do approach food and I know you know, so many of our listeners are in this place where they don't feel like they know how to eat anymore, or they do feel overwhelmed on what to believe and what to see. And as you said, there's so much in our faces, not just around the body image side and what we should be striving for in terms of what to look like, Mm -hmm. but also around the beliefs around food. Like I think one of the biggest things that I find really interesting is at the same point in time, in this point in time, we've got vegan and carnivore diets, both Mm -hmm. in vogue and how can it be that two of the most opposing diets uh, both believe that they're right? So I'd love to hear your thoughts around, you know, I guess where we're currently at and um, how to really get through um, in that, you know, as we're scrolling, working through what to believe and how to maybe minimise that confusion. Mm, I'm a big um, proponent and a massive fan of human psychology. I just, I froth on all of that stuff. So um, one thing that sort of really comes to mind first off the bat is confirmation bias so we seek out that which we already believe in order to reconfirm that which we already believe so that's why we've got these little hives and and silos where people just assume that everybody thinks like them where if you um move beyond that even if you pick up someone else's smartphone you'll see that their experience is completely completely different um, in the social media setting, though, especially if let's say you go to the explore section and let's say you do uh, read widely, you have actually made an effort to have a wide range of people that you follow so that you aren't stuck in that siloed way of thinking, which particularly for professionals, I think is really important so that you can see other people's opinion, you know, points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you will find is that you'll start scrolling and you'll start to kind of go down different wormholes and if you think about the fact that we normally are a product of the five people that we spend the most time with how does that affect our psychology to now be the product of the four thousand people or whoever it is that social media deems that whose posts we see Mm. and whose posts do we see the people who have the most engagement and who gets the most engagement the people with the most polarizing views whether that be just the hovering of people going, oh, this is like hate following, right? Mm. Or whether that be the people who are desperately looking for the solution, the answer, and okay, well, that didn't work. So I'm a born again. I'm going to do the complete opposite 
of what I was doing before. And maybe that will give me purpose and meaning and, and ex explain why I don't feel happy within myself or, you know, food and emotion are so deeply intrinsically linked. And I'm sure in your work, you've seen this a lot that uh, when people feel like they've lost control of their lives, it's food that they start to um, seek control over. And so that's why um, whether you are a hardcore carnivore or a hardcore herbivore, <laughs> either way, there is this, um, zealous kind of fanaticism that comes with being um, unresolved, I suppose. I mean, that's, this is yeah. like, I'm, but um, if you are deeply comfortable with where you're at, then you shouldn't feel the need to attack other people's opinions and beliefs. Mm. That That's really what it, what it comes to. So um, I'm all for people exploring different diets uh, in the sense of like different ways of eating but um, don't do it as like a, an opportunity to make that your identity and in doing so an opportunity to say, you are the other with a capital O, I am you know, better than you because of the choices that I've made and why don't you think the way that I do, all of those sorts of things. So um, it's exactly the same as the political situation in a lot of countries around the world. So I look at what Donald Trump has been able to achieve in America, you know, with the help of some Russian bots. And it truly is in um, dog whistling and preaching to the choir. So he knows that a lot of people hate what he's saying, but if he can just keep um, messaging and dog whistling to the people who do believe him, then he can say some really outlandish shit and it's only going to continue to confirm what people already believe. So in that same way, um, just kind of check yourself. If you read something about food that is out, out there, outlandish, particularly around limiting things, you know, mm. taking things out, mm. kind of have a think about what is the objective of this person? Like what, what's driving this person's thinking around it or this movement? Wow. Soapbox Central. Get ready. Uh, yeah, no, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, ready. I'm like sitting on the edge of a seat going, yes, Alice. <laughs> no, that's really beautiful. And I'd love to kind of work through, like obviously you've got a lot of knowledge around food and nutrition. Did you have a childhood that was rich in all things food and bringing up your relationship with food and passion around food? Or is that something that came later? Well, it's funny because I do think about it. Obviously, a lot of our relationships with food, our relationship with food, I should say, mm. is formed um, when we are children. And so a lot of the conversations that I have, a lot of the conversations that you have is uh, are with the inner child of a person who has often a lot of trauma around their first food experiences. And I'm no different. So when I was um, when I was very young, I had a fantastic relationship with food because my family loved food. I grew up in Georgia in the former Soviet Union. So for us, food was um, a way that we came together. We had feasts. We had we would make um, satsibela, which is like our version of, of passata. My grandpa had a dacha, so he'd grow his own food, really because we had to. We were in the Soviet Union, so that was like a great way, the only way that we would have um, subsistence, you know, food on tap. Um, but then I went to kindergarten. And that was in Georgia. And I was um, small for my age and I'm, I'm an empath and I was being bullied and we were getting this kind of, um, it's called schlaplap, 
which is like a kind of like a meat and rice, you know, um, one of those sloppy mm. <laughs> kind of, you know, oh, meals. the name kind of sounds like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Slop, slop, lop. <laughs> um, and I began to regurgitate my food. So they would feed me every day and it would come straight back up. And I can still remember the, the guilt and shame around doing that. It was just something that would happen. And then my mum would come and get me. She'd have to come and get me. So it was, if you think about it, that behaviour, that, that cycle that was happening was like I was using um, food to try and express the pain of, of being bullied in this room. And um, then I got the reward, I suppose, of my mum coming to take me out of the situation but what she did next is I think the reason why I came through that experience without a relationship with food that, that's got some, some damage to it. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and so what she would do is she would take me back to her office um, and she would make me a risole sandwich. <laughs> so it like, it's a very, yeah, so it's called katliapi, which are kind of like just like flat, flattened, um, you know, burger patty risoles. Uh, on black bread and we would sit together and we would eat it and I think in doing that what she did was that she reassured me that it wasn't the food that was the problem that that was just my only way that I could express myself but that that shouldn't be the thing that I come away with with damage and and I think that I suppose if I think about a lot of my work now what I'm trying to do is tap into each person's earliest memories and say what comes up for you what is that place? Do we need to do some healing or do we need to do some reminding? Because if we all, if we all start from that conversation, then there's such purity in that, isn't there? Absolutely. You know, before we then start to build up the scar tissue and, and the layers of, of what I should do and what I have to do. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's really powerful. And, and it just brings up so many conversations that uh, on the side, we do baby led feeding and um, the page around that about just you know being calm and confident around food and the reason we started that out well, the reason we started that out was because we did see so much anxiety and confusion in new mums mm. um, that was just so heartbreaking for me because to me I was just so excited about that introduction to food journey and allowing my kids to experience that excitement and um, pleasure around food. And so yeah. to know that other kids aren't able to do that because um, the parents aren't feeling confident or knowledgeable enough to allow that to happen um, just meant that Kez and I just was like, let's have a voice here and let's see, you know, just obviously on the side because I don't have much time, but at mm. least having some communication there to allow some pressure to be released um totally. and hopefully some confidence and yeah. you know I, how has that experience you know as a child I think uh, it changed how you've done things with beautiful Hazel you've got an 18 yeah. month old um <laughs> what's your relationship with food been like at home now and has that changed or have you been able to just integrate her into the family life obviously food and Hazy's relationship with food was like even when I was pregnant I remember um you know when you got like super hormonal and you're mm. expressing all of your fears I <laughs> said what if what if she doesn't like food? <laughs> and um, and obviously that's a, a very real kind of concern. And I and I know this. I remember reading um, a, a research paper that actually 
um, highlighted that the people whose kids have the most issues tend to be the ones that work in and around food mm. because they put so much pressure on it. And so um, when people approach me, Hazy, I, I will proudly say that her relationship with food to date, like she's 18 months, so oh, yeah. Yeah. We're good. We're neophobia, good. that's right. Neophobia hasn't officially kicked in like too deeply, <laughs> but her um, capacity to just sit with us we, we really, um, lockdown's been fantastic for this because we're at home. So we will spend 40, 45 minutes to an hour just sitting together. And sometimes, um, you know, she'll have the food in front of her. We'll be eating, having a conversation and she won't eat for, you know, 25, 30 minutes sometimes. And we just, we don't really bring attention to it. And then she's watching us the whole time interacting and then she'll pick up her fork and she'll start to eat. And that's actually, so her cutlery skills, her fork wielding, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's pretty amazing. And I'll tell you why it's because we weren't afraid. So we would give her cutlery pretty young and we just let her play with it. The first thing, a lot of people approach me actually to ask me, what have you done in order to get Hazel to have this sort of kind of, um, you know, prowess with a fork, um, desire to eat things as weird as you know sea urchin and um, <laughs> she she's she anything that we eat she eats um, anything that I cook the only difference is that I under season the food and then when it comes to the table there's salt on the table so we can season it up mm. what I did was less than I thought I needed to do and so what I tell people is do less yeah care less if it falls on the floor, if they don't eat it, pick like I'll pick it up and eat it myself and I won't bring it up to her. You know, that's the way that we mitigate and minimize food waste is that anything that I serve her is food that I'm willing to eat. <laughs> I don't make her separate meals. I don't make a big deal. I don't sit there and tell her how good things are going to be for her. I enjoy my food. She sees me do that and, and that's role modeled for her. And so she, she even shares her food with us. So she'll feed us. You know, and, and she'll say, oh, you know, she's obsessed with blueberries. That's her current obsession. So once she's had enough, um, she'll start offering them to us. And when she starts throwing them on the floor, um, that's when I pick them up and eat them. And eventually, like what I recognize is cool, you're done and you're just playing. So that's when we can pick you up and, and you're done. But on, it's an every day that this has been like a little human experiment that I get to watch her relationship build and i know that it's a lot of responsibility that we put on ourselves as parents because oh my god it's a lot of pressure right yeah. particularly i'm sure everybody that's listening if, if they're a parent or if, if they're thinking about being a parent um i mean um, we're we're talking to our people here so yeah. <laughs> obviously yeah. food's really important to us but um do less <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and people ask me like around that. And I often just say, like, I feel like what we're doing is the lazy option. Like it's so totally. much so. Um, yes. And uh, taking the morality out of the food and the pressure out of the table from the table mm. has just been really enjoyable to watch. Um, yep. And using language that is around, you know, you don't like this yet or um, not, you know, not, oh, Ruben doesn't like mushroom. It's Ruben doesn't like mushroom yet. Maybe you'll try it again. And, yep. you know, when you're older and just that exploratory, um, mm -hmm. explorative language has been just beautiful at the table. And, you know, 
I agree. They have been my social experiment and I'm totally okay with it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love uh, that. Yeah, yeah. So. And the biggest thing as well, I think for Hazy, um, is that I made a real effort to push past the toe curling of breastfeeding. Yeah. And I kept that going because I was able to like, I've been able to build a lot of her palate and her taste through the food that I could eat and then she kind of ingests through through my milk. So that that also has taken the pressure off. I think a lot of people kind of worry um, that, oh, is my child getting enough? You know, is my toddler getting enough? If you can, just keep feeding them. Give them, give them the boob. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. she, yeah, she does. She loves the spice. She's, yes. <laughs> she's all about the chilli. All about it. All about the chilli, all about the spice. Spring onion. Spring onion. Any, she loves the funk and she loves acid so any sort of sour she'll suck on a lemon i think she's just a real um she's an aries so she's yeah. all about, she, she's like fire i love it <laughs> so so let's say that um you know someone has been through or can reflect on a childhood around food that has been full of pressure that has been around that morality of good and bad and guilt and anxiety and um and thoughts around food where, how can they start to think about that curiosity piece and enjoying food again? I think so much of if we want to change our behaviour and improve on different things, we need to be able to enjoy it. Mm. So what are some things that um, we could recommend or could get into the home or shopping um, that can start that recovery? Mm. The fact that they're already recognising that in themselves is the first step. Mm. Uh, and they need to congratulate themselves even for going there because mm. we kind of build up that scar tissue so we don't need to have that conversation, right? Mm. Um, so that that's the first step, the, like seeing it and recognising that that's the place that it comes from. And then um, I guess it's just like forming any new habit. Mm. You start small, you start with achievable goals, um, you recognise that you might not like mushroom yet, it's not the mushroom that you don't like. It's the way that it was cooked for you when you were a kid. Um, there are so many other things that you can do. So you set yourself challenges around food. If you are a competitive person, turn it into a game for yourself. If you're not a competitive person and you that, that the notion of that gives you the heebie-jeebies, then find something else that um, motivates you. And curiosity to me is an open-mindedness. Mm -hmm. So everybody, I think... Um, aspires to be more open-minded and um, to live a more fulfilled life mm. so food and and the ability and the openness to trying new things I think is part of living a rich fulfilled life so if you're missing out on that then maybe cultivate a sense of FOMO to the point where you go okay I'm ready to stop missing out now I'm ready to face that I've had a shitty I've had a shit one to now can I swear by the way or is I'm sad I've had a, a, a shit one today, um, but I'm not going to let that dictate the rest of my life. That's not going to be part of my identity anymore. Mm. You know, get Tony Robbins on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. really like that you brought up the identity word because I think so often we have that self-talk in our head of I'm someone who doesn't like cooking. I'm someone who doesn't like shopping. Mm. I I'm someone who can never learn to cook. And um, yeah, I feel like that's a really big piece of challenging that to start with. Yep. Yep. And everybody's got that friend that has mm. to, you know, when they're at a restaurant, you know, they're going to question the menu and they're going to be like, oh, I can't eat this. I can't eat that. And the waiter's just sort of standing there <laughs> making notes. <laughs> uh, uh, can you though? Like, can't yeah. you? Or are you just kind of making that? Um, because what you're actually craving is that someone sees you. 
Mm. And where does that come from? Mm. <laughs> That's big. <laughs> Bear malice. Wow, that, you just brought that from nowhere. <laughs> but that's, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a real thing, I think, that, you know, as religion reduces um, or our need for, like, our ability to touch religion reduces, mm. we still need belonging and we mm. still need identity. So where are we going to reach to? And it is, as you said at the start of our conversations, it is around things that we do each day and places that we feel like we belong um, is going to come into it. And food is really almost taking away and replacing religion for many people. You know, mm. we've got to a point now where the type of food or the group of foods that we eat is now in our profile um, and we belong. Um, so, you know, it's not about saying that's right or wrong. It's about asking the question of why. And who is that um, person? And, you know, why, why is that someone that you want to become? And how can we just shift it to a place that's so much more flexible and more about who you want to be and um, what you're looking to achieve? Yeah, because what you'll find is that the more time that you spend obsessing about that stuff, the less time that you have um, enriching your life in other ways. Mm. You're... Often what happens for people who do have hang-ups around food and that do build these rigid frameworks is that their mind palace, their bandwidth is consumed with thinking about what they're going to eat or what they can't eat or all of those things. And so they actually are operating in a fight or flight all the time. And, and what kind of a life is that? You're just, um, you're in reptilian brain all the time. And so human beings naturally operate best within some sort of framework mm. right they they like having rules yeah because then it kind of gives them a set of goals gives them something to aim for and all of those things so as you say as um, secular society becomes the norm mm. how can people dogmatize or um, gamify other aspects of themselves and their lives and it's a lot more socially acceptable to say i'm a I'm paleo, then I'm, I believe in, you know, I'm a poly, polytheistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And a lot of the people that are in charge of these cult, well, I mean, all of the language even around food has mm. a lot of spiritual kind of or, or um, monotheistic mm. um, language. So if you look at a lot of the people that are um, the loudest proponents of a certain diet, they have this real messianic kind of complex around them, don't they? Or a God complex too. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. So unpack that and say like, mm. who am I following and why? And following, even followers, where are their followers? Mm. You know, in a church and on the internet. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really nice thing that um, if you've watched Social Dilemma on um, Netflix, everyone will kind of then work through that algorithm too. Because to us, we are working within the algorithm all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of had that awareness, but I think what Social Dilemma has done is expanded that awareness to a wider population, which is amazing. Because I think mm -hmm. when we are scrolling, we often aren't in a state of realising or being cognitive, cognitively aware that what we're seeing is actually very unique to us and it's very structured around what we're doing. So, you know, if you're searching for um, vegan recipes or you interact with a couple of vegan options, your explore feed is going to be all vegan options. Mm. Same with, you know, if you interact with pregnant people, people are going to be like, oh, she's pregnant. Let's look at the explore feed. So it can work in many different ways. And so what you're seeing is very different to what someone next to you is seeing, as you've said um, previously. And I think also on, um, while we're on social media, 
one thing that I'd love to explore with you is, um, I guess, the privilege within a lot of the nutrition messaging that's out there. So um, I feel like there's a real segregation of um, giving advice that many people feel is unattainable to them or something they can't afford or too complex um, or and I'm from a small country town with a very high indigenous population and so I'm always very aware that who we're talking to on social media is not actually the real population mm. and I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, food availability and also uh, food literacy and because mm. I know this is a really big piece of things that you have been working on in your projects. Totally. And you're so right. Um, if you look at the way that nutrition and food is being communicated online, it's primarily um, being conveyed by um, affluent white women <laughs> you know, who are patting each other on the back. Um, so I think that we definitely, definitely need to check our privilege, but also recognise that that privilege has afforded us um, the opportunity to learn more and how do we convey that, communicate that, um, find ways to share that which we have learned in ways without judgment or in ways that make it more, uh, more um, I'm going to find another word beyond permission, um, yeah. ways that are more inclusive. Yeah. So with my work with Phenomenon, for example, I knew that, um, so Phenomenon is a digital toolkit for teachers and parents to help encourage kids to fall in love with vegetables. And we do that by offering resources for classrooms that are amazing numeracy and literacy resources that just so happen to be around food. So kids are exposed to interesting ideas and become more curious about food and whoop, there you go, they're trying mushrooms for the first time. That's the, the notion behind it. But what I knew is that we, if we charged teachers for those resources, if we put a, a subscription or a firewall, you know, paywall behind anything, then we would be cutting out the very people that we were trying to reach. Mm. So we're always asking ourselves, who is this for and how can we broaden that to make it as inclusive and available as, as possible? So Noncast, which is the podcast that I do for families, it's short because I know that sometimes families only have a commute of, you know, eight minutes yeah. between school and home. And it's um, freely available online in, in as many different kind of formats as possible whenever we do surveys. So it's all very kind of data-driven and, and human, you know, human design-centred. We offer those surveys to be paper surveys as well because, you know, we don't want to just hear from the people who have high-speed 5G <laughs> internet. We want to be able to learn from people from small towns and, and yes. people that might not have access. So how do we give more people access and how do we spin the privilege that we have to um, take the great power that we have and give sprinkle it like confetti. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And knowledge is power. So how do we sprinkle that knowledge and how do we phrase it so that and frame it so that it's like um, available for everybody? I don't know. I, I'm, the reason I'm getting tangled is because this is something that I'm clearly very passionate about. But um, and I truly hope that that I'm, I'm trying to distill it into sort of a, a concept that everyone can kind of walk away with that, that's listening. And it's kind of like, um, who are you talking to? Because a lot of the conversations that are being had in the nutrition and health and food space online are peer-to-peer, -peer, 
people trying to impress each other with their knowledge, with their you know, ingenuity, with their skill, with the vibrancy of the beautiful produce that they have at their disposal. Shift your audience because we're already there. We're already the converted. So how do we communicate to people that aren't there yet? And how do we make them feel welcome in that conversation? 100%, because what's the point of this knowledge? What's the point of this power with that knowledge if no one can follow it and no one feels like it's attainable? Totally. Yeah, no, I really, really- I'm glad I got there in the end, far out. That was a, that was a ramble, but I got there. Nah, <laughs> worth it, yeah. mate. It's, it's two mums talking together. Yeah, it's true. We're always gonna end up really badly at one point. <laughs> it's so true, oh. yeah. Now, it, a food literacy, food literacy, right? So the knowledge piece is, of course, important. If we have a great knowledge around food, we then have a confidence around food and hopefully that curiosity then builds. How, how are you recommending, and I guess, okay, so there's two points to this. We have um, development athletes and also just teenagers who obviously getting all these messages around performance nutrition and whatnot. But then you realize that they don't even know how to cook that protein that you're recommending they have four to five times a day. Or you might be recommending they increase their veggies, but they actually don't know how to prepare or cook vegetables. Mm -hmm. How do we break that? How do we get to a point of, you know, imagine someone listening here is just feeling really overwhelmed in the kitchen. They don't enjoy it. They don't know where to start and they find recipe reading and whatnot really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. How can we begin to gain confidence and ability within that kitchen and where can we start where it feels comfortable mm, good question mm. um and that takes me back so when i was a teenager i was a, a competitive gymnast so i was a, a rhythmic gymnast and my um the girls that were older than me that were like in the national team i would watch what they were eating and it was kind of like dip <laughs> carrot sticks and hummus carrot sticks and hummus exactly and um and looking at that and aspiring to be like them I was paralyzed by fear mm -hmm. because I, um, I, I didn't know what I needed to do and I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So all I ate, you know, seeing that was carrot sticks and hummus or on the flip side, I'd say, well, that's not for me. So I'll just keep doing exactly what it is that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So how does that relate to the people that you're seeing or to the people that are, that are listening? So if we um, aim too high, in the conversations that we're having mm -hmm. and if we are completely kind of missing the missing people uh, people's true god this really is mum brain isn't it wow wow good yeah <laughs> you know it um, come back come to me um if if we lead okay here we go so the reason why that was a fear-based conversation mm -hmm. is because it was about um, needing to be a certain weight and a certain size in order yeah. to be a gymnast. Yeah. So it was about, um, you know, food can be either fear or it can be love. Mm. So that was very fear-based. And I think that for a lot of athletes who, who for whom their body is their temple, um, there is a lot of fear around that too, right? Particularly if they don't have that food literacy piece. So um, make food and the conversation around you know getting them to to get better at that part of their lifestyle another aspect of their competitive edge 
So they're used to setting themselves goals and small goals and making those achievable. So create a funnel rather than going to recipe first and then trying to like get them to broaden that way. Make it like, you know, here's, um, there, it's, the internet is a magical place. Um, it could be something like, for example, you know, a show I did a couple of years ago, Shortcuts to Glory, was explicitly, specifically for young people just starting out in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Seek out those sorts of programs. Figure out if your client is a, a watcher, a reader, a listener, and meet them there. And then just kind of give them a few accessible points. So whether it be showing them how to make guac, because um, they'll make that guac all the time, right? Um, and then just kind of give them a few little offshoot recipes that they can go from there. So it could be that you're um, having that guac turns into avocado on toast by just adding a little bit of feta or, you know, just building on it in those little ways. So I feel like that, I feel like that's actionable. Um, I'm also thinking there's a book that I just had a conversation with the authors last night called Use It All mm -hmm. that, I actually think is a really great book for people starting out um, because it kind of specifically gives you shopping lists. Mm. So, um, and I don't mean shopping lists like, like pictures, yeah. and then it tells you what to do with every last skerrick of that ingredient. And I kind of feel like maybe if they are just starting out, that could be a really nice place to be. But it's also my thinking behind my new book in Praise of Veg. Mm. I want it to be accessible and available to people like like. Um, your clients, but also to young mums, to people that are stuck in a rut who are older that have been cooking for years and years, but just want to eat more veg because everybody does. So um, I think there are a lot of really fantastic communicators. You've just kind of got to focus them in one way. So how did I get here? How did no, I get good. to this point? It's a okay, really good. good chat. I love it because I think at the end of the day, we can't be talking around the high-end food and nutrients. Nah. The basics aren't there. And, you know, one thing I reflect on often is that the missing link of food is that confidence, but not only the knowledge, but also how to do it. Um, yes. You know, food science and being in food tech at school is now not for everyone. And mm. um, it's often an elective. So, you know, these skills and, you know, there's, there's houses in the U.S. without kitchens. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, like we've got clients in the US and it's like, okay, we're doing this. And they're like, well, we don't have a kitchen. I'm like, you're what? <laughs> so it's this incredible they shift. They eat out all the time. So yeah, it's a really interesting shift and um, wow. very different cultures. Yeah. And I, I just didn't even realize because obviously in Australia, That's it's not a thing yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there is all these pieces, I guess, um, to acknowledging that food resilience isn't just knowledge and knowledge doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the confidence to change, but it does, is the start. And yes. building that knowledge is a really yeah. good piece to them. And knowledge, to totally. And knowledge mm. doesn't mean, so when we teach mm. kids about food, it doesn't yep. mean that we talk nutrients. And yes. it also means when we teach grown ups about food, we don't talk about nutrients because the layman doesn't give a shit. And I think the reason why fear came to me is because mm. it's scary stuff because it's like, you know, back in science class, mm -hmm. but also because um, when you don't know enough, you just kind of go back to what you do know, which is yeah. like, you know, um, comfort in inverted commas. Comfort food can be a big bowl of borscht, depending on your context. But for a lot of people, comfort means the thing that they've seen the most, which is, you know, fast food because it's everywhere. So, yeah, let's... Um, I'm still, I'm still in shock about the no kitchen. So what's in that part of their house? They just like... Oh, it's been built without it. Yeah, it's just a room. Yeah, yeah. 
So they live in a, um, obviously a city and there's just so much takeaway and whatnot available that it just isn't even a thing. So yeah, it's been a really interesting learning experience for me around that culture piece and yeah. how that should be. Yeah. I've got to do some reading. That sounds like an absolute minefield. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Don't, don't go, don't go there. <laughs> You're like, I can't talk. I need to think about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So being in the kitchen, I think, and setting up that environment piece is um, a really interesting one. So we actually have um, cooking classes now where, you know, we are talking around food, but it's while we're learning how to actually cook it and be interested in it and Brilliant. be curious around it and yep. um, integrating them into the life. Because one of the things that's really resonated over the years of working with all ages of athletes is don't tell me I need more fiber. Don't tell me I need more protein. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I don't know how to implement that. Exactly. Tell me what that actually means to me 100%. and how that actually relates to food. I love it. I love it. And make that food delicious. I think actually also empowering those athletes to recognize that our body, they know our bodies are machines, right? Yeah. But our taste buds were evolved to tell us when we were being nourished taste mm. is nutrition so how do you get back to that point where you tap into the positive cravings of i feel like purple food i feel like more lemon because i need you know those sorts of things it does happen so yeah, yeah that's cool yeah. yeah yeah i really love that and not feeling guilty when you actually trust that mm. uh, and trust your appetite and allow for that to your body to actually tell you what you need and how much you know there's yep. there's pieces of this where a, a massive thing that's happening within the active individual space is a thing called low energy availability and often it happens by accident where there's just such a big pressure to always eat clean and always eat so much um, veggies and fruit and they're doing an amazing job of eating healthy mm. but it's actually placing them in a place of low energy availability and our body shifts and adjusts our metabolism to cope with that and it's very confusing when you kind of like but i'm doing everything right like social media the messaging around diets is telling me always to eat less i'm doing everything right mm -hmm. and to shift that and to actually allow them to eat a much more diverse option and actually consider energy excess is a really big challenge and a change in what we have been taught around food wow isn't that crazy mm. and even going back to the, the body being this machine even mm. the psychology of eating something like that you absorb more nutrients when you're eating with people or yeah. that you know when you're in that state of deficit the fight or flight then your body stores more fat right um in the, the wrong kind of fat i suppose so like all of those kind of yeah like that that stuff is just so interesting and particularly if you are working with people who want to be at the top of their game um, shifting that mindset to be like, hey, be a bit more loosey-goosey because you'll have more bandwidth to do other things. Mm -hmm. And when you eat from a place of guilt, then that obviously um, your body reads that totally differently as well. Like, and, mm -hmm. and you know, you're never satisfied. And isn't that really what it all comes back to? Like satisfaction? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because the more you feel guilty, the more you feel restricted or, mm -hmm. um, you know, that morality around food piece, the more you're going to want those things. And the more obsessed, as you mentioned, like the, the mind space, we have a podcast being released on Friday. So it will have been released by the time we um, do this one nice. um, with an athlete who actually went through her career with an eating disorder and talking to her around how fatiguing and overwhelming mm -hmm. and just completely debilitating the obsession is around how much time, how much energy is taken up by thinking around food, restricting mm. food. And um, 
what I often talk through is removing that talk around what you can't have and increasing the talk around what you can have. What can you increase? What can you include? What can you enjoy so that you're never feeling like there's banned foods or bad foods or cheat days mm-hmm. that's rather just life and yeah. enjoyment and curiosity around food that really allows you to enjoy it. Yeah, and let's unpack all of that binary language that's been ingrained in us from youth for generations, you know, the good, the bad, the dirty, the clean, all of that stuff. Put that in the bin too. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yes. It's a really tough talk because I think in our schools, which I love that you're overcoming, um, even my kids in daycare are having those talks around good and bad and putting them into piles and um that's been a really big shift of like, okay, well, I can't just say that that's not okay. I need Mm. to give them another option. I need to have that conversation of why that is something that we need to challenge and work towards. Um, I had a beautiful conversation with a new mom who was so fearful around her child's obsession with food. So this one-year-old hadn't been allowed to eat till full because she was so worried that her child wouldn't stop. And, you know, that fear about weight and Mm. um, really does shift onto your children and I think that's one of those passion projects of ours that has really allowed me to go well all these things what is that impacting later in life for that child how can we ensure that we're talking to the parents to um, build a relationship with food that is going to bring confidence to them and um, I have this beautiful friend called Leah she won't mind me talking about this because she has actually openly told this story on our podcast is you know her real ignite factor of wanting to change how she ate was this moment of like, wow, I can't let my kids go through the same thing I'm going through. Mm. And that really just changed her why and her purpose to then shift her behavior and really challenge it. Just, you know, without judgment, work mm. towards um, a progress to yeah. being much more comfortable and permission to eat was a really big one. Mm. And if you're, um, if you're listening to this and thinking that your kids are experiencing a similar thing in, in the schools, you know, we've put a lot of pressure on teachers to, to we've outsourced that conversation and, and teachers, um, always teachers come from a place of wanting to do the 100%. best by kids, you know, by um, yep. improving well-being and all those things. Mm. But when we're expecting people to teach kids about an area that is so multi-dimensional and so emotive who might not necessarily have resolved their own issues around food then they don't even realize that they're then putting those issues onto kids so you know that's something that we need to empathetically kind of check ourselves on and but also check it so if that's happening in your child's school be the parent that speaks up because you will save cohorts of kids from then having to unlearn that language because it sucks <laughs> yeah absolutely sucks. yeah if we if we take out that i because i know this is a concern that has been voiced to me multiple times if we take that you know talk around good and bad healthy unhealthy out alice how do we teach kids how to eat well and i know that's a really big concern for people so i'd love to hear your words on that i love that um so how um i think then that the concern comes from are we doing enough ourselves Kids learn by watching. So what's our relationship with food like? Are we monkey see, monkey doing? Or are we do as I say, not as I doing? Um, So role modelling plays a big part. Connecting over the table plays a big part. And if I haven't already convinced you to do that because, you know, they absorb more nutrients, it's also been seen and been shown to have positive effects and impacts on school, um, school grades as well. 
So, I mean, that's pretty great. Mm. Um, teach your kids other language to use around food beyond good and bad. Um, adjectives, you know, how does this taste? Let's have a conversation. Let's get curious. Let's learn more about the origin of this food, all of those things, but never, and this is the thing because kids are savvy, never with the intention that it's going to make them eat more of that food. Yeah, they know, they know, trust your kids, trust their natural instincts and trust that if you're um, living your truth and if you're satisfying your pleasure points around food, they'll see that and the joy that you um, experience in serving them dishes that you might have learned from your grandparents or, you know, memories, emotions, Come at food from that place and don't worry. Please don't worry that your kids are over, you know, eating too much or uh, doing any of those sorts of things. Because also the other thing is that if you're serving up nutritious food, then they don't have a choice but to nourish themselves. Right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. put, it on their, put it on their high chair, walk away back to the video, sit yeah. down, eat your food and just kind of, you know, have a general conversation and you'll find that they they'll find their way. Do less. Comes yeah. back to do less. Yeah, I hope yeah. That, that answers your question. No, it does. And I think it's it's part of how we can all eat um, in a different way. Of course, we're talking about kids here, but so much of what we need as adults is actually that permission um, and thinking about, okay, I'm in control of what mm -hmm. and when I eat, yep. and I'm, but I'm also in control of if I eat it and how much. Yeah. Um, and the kids are the same. So with kids, Absolutely. As the parent, you're in charge of what they eat and when. You can absolutely decide if they have Cocoa Pops or Wheat Gix. But of course, if you give the child the option of, well, Cocoa Pops are there, I am going to choose Cocoa Pops. Of course, the kids are going to choose Cocoa Pops. Mm. So have that control in a really positive sense of you decide what's on their plate. You decide, you know, the nourishing foods that you'd like to give them access to and allow them to explore. But then you allow them to acknowledge if they eat it and how much they eat. Yeah, all about the division of responsibility, all yeah. about it, love. So Ellen Satter. Ellen, yeah. isn't she great? Love her, yeah. child of mine. That was yeah. a, um, a friend of mine lent me that, but then uh, another um, friend and phenomenon colleague, Kelly. Um, yeah. Shout out to Kelly. Yeah, hi Kelly. Yeah, uh, curious nutritionist. So yeah. uh, Kelly and I chat about Ellen all the time. And, you know, even the division of responsibility doesn't just extend to um, food. If mm. you think about it, it also extends to knowledge. So how we share, we can only share so much. We can only lead that horse to water. Yeah. People need to choose what information they absorb because if yeah. you force it on them then they'll only retract even further and that's for adults as well mm. um and far out you know if you're going to give them chips give them good ones yes the best ones teach them what it tastes like to get like we've got an amazing potato farm down the road that do the best potato chips like on like hot chips on on oh, the whole wow. peninsula. so yeah. we'll get those hot chips and hazy will chew on one for 10 15 minutes just like nim, 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 nim. she will never go out and get a soggy like cup of hot chips and you know she might but then standards. she'll be like meh standards so you know make give them a sense of um what's what's the word nuance absolutely enjoyment it comes back to enjoyment right like enjoyment. Do it. give them hot chip nuance yeah. hey look i think there's a lot of adults um that could take that advice in terms of you know if you're gonna have chocolate Oh, oh good make stuff. it good. Make <laughs> yeah. it good chocolate. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna eat a cake, 
make it the best like yeah get the most enjoyment out of it and if you don't register that feeling and like that disappointment and go ah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know maybe i could satisfy myself another way another time <laughs> yeah that actually that is something that's really interesting that I, I don't think enters conversation enough of like actually reflecting how did that make you feel you know how did that satisfy you did it satisfy you and was it as good as you made out in your head for it to be um and if not why not and let's learn from that without judgment yeah. let's just learn from that and think about that next time we're um you know considering food and realizing that you know maybe that maccas that you just ate and then felt really guilty about didn't actually fulfill its purpose that you thought it was going to or did it was it exactly what you wanted and it was absolutely amazing and can you you know have that without guilt and um you know the foreshadowing Thing of like oh, i've got to work this off now and you know removing all those thought processes is definitely where we want to be in terms of that freedom around what we can choose and when and um yeah getting to that point is very very nice if i can without all our clients i like it i'm, I'm letting the there be some breath so that people can like hear the mic drop <laughs> <laughs> we should bang the microphone that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 the purpose of food it's very nice but yeah you know as always like this is two people who are very passionate about food talking and you know it can i i'm very always very conscious that just because i'm passionate about food and mm -hmm. i love food that's not saying that everyone needs to have it as their priority and the same yep. priority as me and um i'm sure you're the same alice because that's oh. always how i hear you talk around food is that you know it's important but uh, we realize that there are so many other things in your life yeah. that are causing stress or anxiety or um you know you may not be at a place now to even have this on your radar and that's okay and that's okay because sometimes we have you know our i'm back at chips we have our tin of spanish chips and pickles and sauerkraut and you know whatever we have in the fridge for dinner yeah. and like that's you do what you got to do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have an omelet for dinner you do you yeah, yeah. And, and it's accepting that that's actually okay and yeah. um i feel like there's a resilience piece there where you know you may have been hit with adversity that adversity might be only minor where you haven't shopped um mm -hmm. or you might be in lockdown and your access to food's different or all the foods that you usually cook are out of stock you know all mm -hmm. these things i think in terms of food resilience are things that many of us have felt this year in particular mm. how do we respond to that and at what strength can we respond to that is really acknowledging where you're at with your food and you know um can i create anything from nothing can can i have something really simple that's still nourishing that still absolutely satisfies and feel really good about it and mm. feel like that's absolutely so and and it's okay if you're not there yet um, yeah so fine yeah and, and also you know our grandparents were forced to mm. get good at that because yeah. there was scarcity mm. and um this year certainly that sense mm. of scarcity has been felt by a lot more people um and i think that a lot more people are now tapped into okay so how do i make more with what i've got or yeah. how do i get clever and how do i find satisfaction in that as well um so yeah i think i'm feeling extremely um privileged and grateful to be able to have a platform to empower people and say like wherever you are whatever you've got mm. let's let's cook and yep. let's you know live our live our best food lives <laughs> yeah 
I remember yeah. seeing a tweet like uh, uh, in the midst of your Victorian lockdown. I'm very fortunate that I'm in New South Wales, so I didn't experience that level, but who knows, you know, it could happen again. Um, but you did this tweet of like, you know, obviously acknowledging that people were getting these veggie boxes delivered. There was a lot more change in how we were accessing food mm -hmm. and people were accessing food that they may not have cooked with before. And your tweet was so beautiful that people were like, oh, I've got this thing and I'm not sure what to do with it. That went off. That yeah. was like hundreds of replies yeah. and, and questions. And I'm all about it my dms people slide into them every day to say like what is this yeah. it's like is that that's yes that is ochre you know yeah. it's like all different um and how exciting because that's that's one of the things that i love about food is that there is always more to discover mm. it's like um you know the more you know the more you realize that you don't know so yeah. you know even i get stuff in the veggie box and i'm like Hmm, is that a gnarly Jerusalem artichoke or ginger or <laughs> yeah it's very funny times yeah absolutely though no, I love that because I think it acknowledges that you know food as we've mentioned is so much more than the nutrients it's actually around that curiosity of like oh what is this and how can I have it and maybe that's something that I really enjoy yeah um but uh, we do have the talk in our house now is that we've got a three and a five-year-old of can we have that? And it's got to be that, well, that's extremely expensive now. And so we're going to have to wait till it's in season. And mm. that talk's been a really interesting one that I think we can all learn from of thinking about, well, what's in season, what's going to taste the best right now and what's going to fit my budget better at the moment because it is in season. Yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, if you are price driven, then fresh produce um, can seem out of your um, price point. But there are ways. So, you know, buying seasonally, buying on the sides. If you do have a local green grocer in your area, mm. they've often got those like, you know, getting getting mangy bits that on the side that you can access and, um, you know, nip out a few little bruises here and there and it's good as new. And um, that's how we ate when we first came to Australia. And, you know, that's kind of... Um, the I still get really excited about buying stuff in bulk and you know, mm. like like getting getting excited about finding um, cheap mangoes like, <laughs> that are looking really mangy and then I'll cut all the flesh off and freeze it and I'll make yeah. mango sorbets and smoothies forever. So yeah. um, it's about empowering as many people as possible to think that way about food and um, removing the guilt and shame of buying food on special. Um, that to me is like max smug. When I see a sticker that says like, you know, approaching use by um, on sale, for, especially for bougie stuff, like there are these bougie pizza bases that are like $8 and then they get reduced to like $2. Yeah. That's when I buy them. Yeah, and then they go in the freezer. Yeah. So yeah, it's like full opportunity and challenge all in one. You're like, yeah, I'll, you, you watch me use this. Yeah. Hand it over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really like that. That guilt and shame piece is really interesting um, that I think we can all learn from. I think we've all had those moments of feeling like we're not doing enough, mm -hmm. um, repeating itself over and over, whether that's um, for ourselves. Especially as parents. Others, yeah. As, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, the comparison um, is something we've never felt like we felt at the moment. Oh, yeah. Especially, as you say, you know, any time that we want to feel shitty about ourselves, all we need to do is open our smartphones. Um, it used to be just magazines that you had to actually actively go out and buy to feel bad about yourself. Now it's like in your phone all the time. So if somebody that you're following, um, I know they don't mean it, but if they are making you feel bad about yourself, it's time to unfollow them. <laughs> Like fill your feed with inspiration, with education and with joy. Yeah. Then like, wow, what a, what a wonderful 
thing to have, what a wonderful power to have in your palm if that's what your feed is. Yeah, because it can be a beautiful, powerful tool um, if you design it that way. But I think acknowledging that we actually need to actively design it that way mm -hmm. um, is that first step. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had a um, mum approach me um, and was like, oh, I just saw that I'm meant to be giving my baby bone broth, but I'm not. Are they going to be okay? And I'm like, yeah, they're going to be fine. <laughs> It'll be so fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But yeah, just those messages around have to and this is the best and yes. um, organic and all those types of words get used very, very um, freely now. Liberally. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the better word definitely yeah. so yeah so much to do but i am very conscious of time i know you've got to run <laughs> off to your next thing but wow what an absolute pleasure to talk all things food with you alice it's just yeah. unreal and for those who haven't met alice before she's alice in frames you will see her on abc quite often but she's also published and we're going to link all her things including her website her socials and her books and her book to be released very soon um on the podcast notes so that you can absolutely enjoy and what's hazel's um food account because that is also a really good one to follow that's a good one um her food account is and hazel had that's right um, so obviously when i was um testing in praise of veg which is the <laughs> book that's um that will be out i'm assuming by the time the podcast comes out comes out in november Great. um she was always kind of tasting dishes so you can like look across i've tried to make it as chronological as possible but um I've just got so, such a bank up of content for, of her eating. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do follow it and just prompt me because I need to start putting more stuff up because she's actually, she's gotten to a point now, now that she's 18 months, she'll, um, she, because I film her from above and she, yeah. when she was young, she wouldn't know. And now she's like, she'll, <laughs> she'll just look up. <laughs> straight into the camera she can i'm trying to make off. you anonymous Damn. yeah she's, she loves it she froths on the camera so i have to like and then i have to ask her permission i have to say you know hazy would you mind if i filmed your hands and she'll say ah <laughs> she'll get back to eating she's the best she's oh a she's just a pleasure how cute it's such a delicious age no oh, wonder yeah. we get clucky around this age seriously <laughs> alice it's ridiculous they just get so cute uh, yeah. <laughs> and then they hit two or three and you're like, oh, hang on. <laughs> 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 what have I done? <laughs> nah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Alice. What a pleasure to catch up and we'll chat very soon. Yay. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All the best. Thank you so much for joining our podcast with Alice. What an absolute blast of a human. She was oh incredible and i have left with such a smile um she added so much value to the discussion around food but hopefully a lot of insights too on things that we can challenge ourselves on in a really positive way uh, and some really pragmatic tips that i think we can all hold on to and consider um, moving forward when it comes to how we see food but also the excitement and the culture and the connection that food can bring as well so um, yeah food is definitely not just numbers it's not just something we need to eat less of it is so much more than that and there is so much enjoyment and curiosity and exploration that can come from seeing food differently and in a really positive light so thank you so much for um, coming along to this podcast I hope you enjoy our future ones as well if you did want to reach out we have a free assessment over on our website at competenutrition.com uh, and I've also linked up all of Alice's details so that you can jump on over and buy her latest book on all things veg, but also follow her um, fantastic additions on social media and her website. So thank you so much, guys, and looking forward to the next podcast to come next week. Cheers.